gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that he builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, the fertility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me as we pray? Living God, we ask right now that you might open the eyes of our hearts, that we might see the hope to which you've called each of us. And we pray because of uh, whose word this is, that you would bring new life tonight. In Christ's name and for his sake, amen. I don't know if you remember um, the experience of a teacher giving you some problems to work on, and in your thought was, this is just busy work. You know, I don't see how this really relates to anything. Or maybe a musical instructor gives you some exercises to practice, and you're thinking, this is miles away from the kind of music I want to play. What's the point? Or maybe a boss giving you a project, and you think, this just seems irrelevant to me. And so you've had it, and one day you just say, sorry, I don't see how this really fits. I don't really see the relevance, how this is helping me toward my goal. And hopefully they say to you graciously, listen, I promise if you do this stuff, it'll get you to where you're going. Well, this is what Christian growth is like, spiritual growth. It starts with a promise. That's where it begins. And it's different in, I think, this important way. Now, take uh, the latest diet book, the latest leadership book, and typically the structure you find is, uh, in the first part, there's a lot of research and stats, proof, right, to convince you. And then after that, there's going to be a call, a plan, and then a promise. If you do this stuff, the result will happen. But why is it? Just a couple months later, a couple years later, no one's really doing it. It's because the researcher and the writer, there's one thing they can't do. They can't get inside of you. 
that can't get inside of you and cause you to grow. Right? There is something that um, a disorder called growth hormone deficiency. And if you're born with that, you're not able to grow as you should or like. Can't reach those weight marks, those height marks. Bone growth can result in depression, memory loss, lots of tough things. And you can imagine uh, someone with a growth hormone deficiency looking for help and what they're told is, this is what I want you to do. This is all you have to do. I want you to try to eat a lot more and then exercise, right? Now, how foolish would that be? Because, you know, no matter how much they exercise and no, no matter how much they eat, it's not going to change the fact that they have that deficiency. They don't have the source by which they can grow, And in the spiritual sense of the word, in the Christian faith, a lot of people are in that state. They're trying to grow. They're frustrated at their growth. But in the end, they they really don't have what they need to actually begin to change. And that would be God's promise is what they need. Now... In its most fundamental and foundational sense, the promise of God is God himself. It's his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. That's one of the names of the Holy Spirit. The Christian Trinity understands God to be triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus referred to him as a helper. And he said, I'm going to send him to you after I rise and go to heaven. I'm going to send you the Spirit of God, the promise of God. And one of the reasons he sends him is so that you, can, you and I can begin to grow by a promise. And up until this point in the passage we've heard read, didn't have time to read all this other stuff, there's several references to the Holy Spirit. One reference talks about the Holy Spirit giving us access to God. In chapter 3, Paul prays that I pray that the Spirit might dwell in your inner person. And so, allow me to say, the Holy Spirit is the spiritual growth hormone that you need. And I need to be able to grow, to be able to change. But God gives us more. The Spirit then gives us more insight on how that happens, how we do it. And so, as we're sort of rounding out our Promises to God series, we'll have one more after this. I want to talk tonight about the promise of God and spiritual growth. Change. Transformation. Unlike a coach or a teacher, God can get inside of you tonight. For many of you, he is inside of you. He can get inside of you tonight and begin to work change. Do you believe that? Well, let's let God's word give us some encouragement on it. The first thing is we get a vision for spiritual growth from the Spirit of God and the promise. Uh, Lots of successful folk will tell you visualization is a big deal. The basketball player just keeps envisioning making his free throws. 
The entrepreneur envisions himself selling it, selling the idea. As you begin to envision things, it really changes the way you approach it, your performance. But you see, the vision we're given here, you heard the verse, be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. The vision you're being given and I'm being given is not a vision of self-improvement. It's not a vision of self-reformation. So right off the bat, we have to say that the Christian idea of growth is not a spiritualized self-improvement thing. Nor is it this idea that I just reform myself according to the laws of God. The Christian growth is not an improved self. It is about a new self. Jesus talked about it as you being born again. A new self and a new creation is not something you're becoming. It is something that you are. You have become. That is, if you have embraced Jesus Christ, if you've been connected to God through Jesus, you then are made new. That's very important. That's a very different starting point. Because it means that you have everything you need right now If you're holding on to Christ, you have everything you need to become the person that you long to be. Because God has given it to you. And the focus is the likeness of the glory of God, we're told. If you hear echoes of Genesis here, you're hearing properly. Or, another way to say the likeness of God is true righteousness and holiness, I would say true moral beauty. True spiritual, moral beauty. Now, this challenges our vision of beauty in a couple different ways. We, number one, tend to think of beauty only in superficial ways, surface ways. And there's some perks to that. You know, you've probably read the research. If you're good looking, there's a chance you're going to get better grades. Chance you're going to get 10 to 15% better salary. You're going to get hired at a greater rate. I mean, there's some advantages to that, right? They're short-lived. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. You don't want to hang your hat on that, do you? And then the other thing about beauty we're into, and especially in this day and age, is the understanding that we are the ultimate judges of what beauty is, and we can invent ourselves into that. Okay? But here's the problem with that. First of all, It fails to reckon that you and I are flawed in our understanding and definition of beauty. So whatever whatever person we try to construct or invent is still going to be flawed. And the other thing, it's self-centered, isn't it? Because who's who's like defining and becoming? It's you. Right? It's, It's just by virtue. It has to be that way. And the idea of true moral beauty... In the Christian faith, it's different. First of all, the standard is not a flawed person. It is the righteousness and holiness of God. The infinite, glorious, good, loving God. He becomes the standard for the moral beauty. And more so, he promises to make us into something we could never dream of becoming on our own. 
to create a moral beauty. Now, the difficulty about this stuff is uh, we want to see it, right, in tangible ways on the outside. He's crafting it from the inside, inside out, through our character and who he's making us to be. But it happens as we see the beauty of Jesus Christ. That's God's standard of righteousness and holiness. Read about Jesus Christ in the Gospels, and you'll see the picture of what God is like. This is what the Christian faith teaches. Let me, let me remind you of 2 Corinthians. This is a very important verse about change and spiritual growth. I don't think it's probably the verse that many people go to when they want to grow spiritually. This is what the Apostle Paul says, And we all, I'm paraphrase a bit here, And we all, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, the glory of the Lord, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Did you hear what he said there? That we are transformed, you are transformed, as you are captivated by the moral beauty of Jesus, and God will transform you into that same moral beauty, and it will happen from glory to glory. It doesn't happen overnight, but from glory to glory, he's making that change. So it really gets to this question, I think all of us have to ask ourselves, what image am I growing toward? What image of beauty am I growing toward? Is it body image? Is it career image? Is it public image? Is that what you find yourself really devoting the most energy toward? And it's true, all of us are going to struggle this side of heaven. The Apostle Paul, who was a pretty spiritual guy and committed to growth, talked very openly and vulnerably about how much he struggled. You can read about it in different places anytime he talks about weakness, especially Romans chapter 7, where he just says, the things that I don't want to do, I do. I hate these things that I keep on doing. He even goes so far to say, what a wretched man am I? But then he says, thanks be to Jesus Christ. And as you move past that, he begins to talk what it means to live as someone who's not condemned and someone who's been given the Holy Spirit and the someone who begins to get changed over and over again. It's who we are. You've got to start with that when you think about growth because all of us are growing towards some vision that we have for ourselves. Do you know what that is, and would you shift it? As I said, the new self and new creation is not something we are becoming. It's someone we are. But it's just not us are. There's also a a way that Christianity can be very individualistic-centered, and spiritual growth can be centered. But if you look in the passage preceding, Paul is thinking corporately. He's thinking as a community. You heard it when he talked about this idea of growing together. The Bible really doesn't do a whole lot of thinking on just individual spiritual growth. It's this idea that I'm growing together in a body with the people of God. And it's not only corporate. If you go to chapter 2, and I wish we had time to go there too, you see that it's explicitly cross-cultural. The image and the moral beauty he talks about was between Jew and Gentile coming together. That was the great cross-cultural, you know, move together. And it's the same thing as for you and I. 
We become the vision of who God wants us to be as our community becomes more and more cross-cultural. That isn't the end goal. The end goal is to be new, new in my thinking about people of other races, new in my thinking about my own race. It's fundamental to Christian growth. Paul says it is in Ephesians chapter 2. So there's a vision for spiritual growth. But the second thing he gives us is power or freedom for spiritual growth. Um, I was reading uh, reviews of a book recently, and it came out in 1950 by Milton Mayer, and it's, the title is They Thought They Were Free. They Thought They Were Free. And what he did was he interviewed uh, people in Nazi Germany who basically uh, were German citizens that just kind of came along and became part of this, the, the movement of Nazism. And he's posing the question, how did this happen? And as they recount it, they say, you know, it wasn't like one day I just woke up and said, I'm going to be this evil person. There were lots of little changes and justifications along the way. You know, maybe one day there was a shift in the way a people group was treated. Maybe another day there was a policy change, but it seemed like it needed to happen. There was a crisis that happened, and certainly the government had to respond. And over time, these small, small things became really slavery. They found themselves enslaved. And I would say you get a similar picture of how it happens with us spiritually. In verse 17, Paul talks about the cycle of ignorance, callousness, sensuality. It is the description of addiction. We get blind and ignorant and darkened to what this thing is. We need more and more of it, greedy to practice every kind of dot, dot, dot. And then we become callous as we do it, and the cycle just repeats and repeats and repeats. It's really a cycle of spiritual destruction. And the problem that we have, especially in contemporary culture, is most people in America only think about freedom as freedom too. Freedom to express my desire. There's rarely much discussion about freedom from, unless it's freedom from constraint. But you're really not free unless you can say no to your desires, too. You're not free unless you can put yourself on hold. That's a whole other side. In fact, the Bible would say there's only one thing that can really regulate freedom. And it's love. What would make me give up a freedom that is good for me? Because it's not good for you. And because I love you. And I don't, I, I don't want to do something that's going to jeopardize your growth. This is the idea of freedom. And so the Spirit of God, as you took about, talk about what, how the Spirit of God grows us, there's both a putting off and a putting on. There's a both no and there's a yes to growth. Both sides of it. And you find it uh, you know, reflected in the Ephesians passage when he says, put off the old self, put on the new self. If we went to Romans chapter 6, you would really find a, a great exposition of this idea. Where Paul talks about the importance of saying no to the old self and saying yes to the new self. But the reason we can do it is because we share in the power of Christ. 
I want, I'm going to tease that out in a second because it's really important. The whole basis by which you and I grow is because we have been united spiritually to God through Jesus Christ. You've got to understand that is it. That is the foundation for how Christians grow. So if your thinking about Christian growth typically doesn't go there, you're not going to go very far. That is the powerhouse. That is the source. Old theologians said it involved two things. Mortification, putting to death, and vivification, bringing to life new affections. Um, It's just not enough ever to say no. You know, in the Bible, you don't find just renunciation. But you also find consecration. It's not that I just put off something. But I then embrace something. Uh, you know, an example of this would be when you talk about the issue of sexuality and uh, abstinence versus chastity. You know, writers will talk about this. Those that, uh, you know, abstinence is just this idea of no. It's only negative. But the idea of chastity is a withholding so I might give myself to God. And this is what you find, the biblical sexuality, that I am giving myself. You're always giving yourself to someone. I'm giving myself to God in intimacy. I'm putting off selfishly pursuing intimacy in the ways that I might do it by hooking up with people or just deciding I get to decide the terms of intimacy. I'm going to stop that, and I'm going to give myself to God. Let's take another area of where the power of God works that way. Envy. You know, how do you deal with envy? Envy's a tough thing, isn't it? <laughs> you know, that feeling where you just feel like, mm, you know, you hear good news about someone and immediately you're like, you feel like your world's imploding because something good happened to them. And how do we do that? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to remind ourselves, I am spiritually united to the one who never envied. I'm spiritually united to God. I really want you to know that's not being hyper-spirituality. We have to start there. You start there. And then the second thing you have to do in the putting on and putting off is to begin to take the thoughts. See, you notice Paul centers this battle in the mind. He says, I want you to renew your minds. It's not the only field of engagement, but it's the first field of engagement. And so you and I have to start that in our mind Putting off and putting on. Like, for instance, i got to get rid of the thought that there's only enough blessing. There's only enough blessing for people. That God really doesn't have enough in his storehouse to bless me too if he blesses someone else. Or maybe it's the idea that I have forgotten that the only thing that really counts is faith expressing itself through love. Success does not matter to God. When we talk about spiritual success... No, but I, I, I try to remind myself or remind us, you know, especially in a town like this. God is not impressed with your talent. He gave it to you. God is not impressed with how hard you work. You don't work that hard. And if you do, you're probably not working smart. You know, he's not impressed by that stuff. God is not impressed with perfectionism. What God is impressed with is faith that expresses itself through love. I'm not saying your vocations aren't important. What I'm saying is that we, as we dispel envy in our minds, have to say, what really is important here? 
Or maybe we've forgotten that there are good works in advance that he's planned for me to do. I'm the only one that can do them. They're not your good works. They have your name written over them. And so I do this putting off and putting on thing. And as God's spirit helps me, I start to go, I feel a little less envious right now. But this gets to the next and the final thing. And that is um, the way, the means God gives us. Now, it could be that you're not growing spiritually because you're missing the growth hormone. Okay, all your effort right now is on your duty and discipline, but you, you haven't really thought about the promise of God. You and I have to take our effort and unpack the promises of God. But it also could be that you know those things, but you don't grow. And here, you know, imagine someone that does have a healthy growth hormone, but they're in terrible health. And they go to the doctor. And the doctor says, you know, we've got your blood test back here. I put you on the scale. You know, I can just see you're in terrible health. And you go, well, doc, the way I look at it is I've got the growth hormone. And so uh, I'm not really worried about it. I'm going to be just fine. My body's going to develop exactly as it should be. And he's going to look at you and say, you're crazy, right? Because it's just not enough to have the source. It's not enough just to know. There was a pastor friend of mine, and I think I shared this story once, where he was talking to a woman who was in her early 20s, but in her late teens, she just kind of threw away her faith and really rebelled against her parents and everything she knew, blah, blah, blah. And he was talking with her a couple years later, and he said, uh, and she said, yeah, you know, I always knew my parents were right. I just didn't want to do what they said. And he said, you knew they were right, but you didn't believe they were right. There's a big change. You knew they were right, but you didn't believe. See, you can know the first two points I just said. In fact, maybe they made you yawn and you're tired and you're like, I've heard this before. But then I would ask you, why aren't you growing? Well, I hope you are growing. I I think we are. Praise God for that verse. He's going to finish the work, but you know what I mean. Talking to those of us that maybe you're stunted. Because all you have is the knowledge of what was just said. You know, duty-free is great when you're going to go shopping. It's not so good for spirituality. There's a part you and I play. And so God gives us certain means by which we would do that. But sometimes they're just not that attractive. We want something else. Some of you may know the story in the Old Testament of the commander Naaman. He gets leprosy. And he comes to Elisha. Elisha, Shah. And says, um, I've heard you can heal me. Would you heal me? And Elisha does two things that really offend him. One, he doesn't come out and meet him. He sends his servant. And this guy is like, I'm a pretty important sick person. I'm pretty important. Um, And then um, he not only does that, but then he says, I want you to go into the muddy Jordan River and bathe. Now, you know, I had a chance to stand in the Jordan River uh, this summer. It didn't make me want to go swimming. You know, and he goes, I want you to go in there and dip seven times and then you'll be healed. And the guy is really offended. He ends up doing it. He gets healed. But, you know, I think we get offended, too, by the ordinary ways that God has given us to grow. The Bible, prayer, 
you know, this. And we kind of think, you know, God, I, I'd like something special. I'd like an experience. I'd like a vision. I'd like something that, you know, isn't just so ordinary. Because, you know, that ordinary stuff just doesn't really work. It's beneath me. I want a new philosophy or a new theology. But you know something? God is so gracious. He didn't want to make your growth or my growth exclusive. He didn't want to make it so hard, so he made it really ordinary. He made it a book. He made it talking. He made it common water and bread and wine where you can basically get anywhere. And then he attached it all to a gathering of people, just like, you know, coming together. These were the things that he gave us so that we might utilize. And he does it because he's such a generous king. When David, King David, ascended to the throne, we're told that he gave the multitudes gifts. He gave them some bread, loaf of bread. He gave them a portion of meat. And he gave them some raisin cakes. He was the picture of the king who is generous. And we're told in the New Testament when Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead after paying for sin that he gave gifts to his church. There are lots and lots of gifts, but the gifts of growth he gave, we're told, begin with leaders that he gave. So the whole point of this sermon is, I'm your gift, right? No. That's where it sounds like it's going, but it's not, you know. But he does. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry so the body might be grown, it might build up. Now, what do those things have in common? Well, they're all centered around the word, the scripture. So he commissioned all these offices so that that food could get, the nutrients could get to his people. But it's not just through leaders. Because we're told in the New Testament that the word of God should dwell richly in the entire priesthood of all believers, all believers, and we share things. I met with someone this week. And it was sort of just a catch-up. You know, this happens often where someone comes to me for counseling, and I swear I, I got a lot more from what they said than when they got from me. But this person began to just sort of unpack their last year and what they learned, and it was profound. Spirit of God working with the Word of God in their hearts. And so... We see that by that, we're delivered from false sayings. You can't grow if you're believing the wrong stuff. Now, that comes across everything modern. Because they'll say, there there is no, believe what you want and you'll grow. That's not true. There's many things that you can believe and it'll hurt your life. It'll do destruction upon your life. True things will help you to grow. True things that God has said to you and I. So Paul says, you know, if you begin to grow in the word, you won't feel tossed around so much. Does anybody feel tossed? Right? Week to week, I feel tossed. Well, you won't be tossed so much. You won't be deceived by people. It'll protect you. But more so, we can begin to grow together. This visual growth, which means, you know, my spiritual life isn't totally cut off from your spiritual life. I'm not saying that if I blow off God, it's going to thwart his ultimate purpose in your life. But it may hinder it. We can't grow as a body unless all of us are growing. That's what Paul is saying here. We grow together. We grow as a community. In fact, we need one another to grow. I can't just grow by myself. I can sit in a room 
and read the Bible. All that stuff's important and pray. You've got to have that individual side. But ultimately, you've got to take it out of your door and try it out on people. Try it out in community. And that's where we begin to really see things. And this word, you know, it, it just flows into, it's not the only thing, but it really becomes, the, the, you know, what our prayers then are, the word of God. And this table is called a visible word. And we are people that are defined by the word. Someone has said, each duty is converted into a promise. This is how it works. As you and I don't neglect these things, and we go to them as we would, we come across a promise. And that promise then leads us into a duty. Then the duty pulls us back into learning God's promise deeper and deeper. Then that promise pushes us in duty, and it becomes this cycle of growth in our lives. This is how spiritual growth happens from a Christian perspective. So, in some ways, it's more simple than we've thought. And there's such hope and encouragement. God has given you a vision. He has given you power to grow. And he has given you a way to grow. And if you and I don't take those means, if you stop coming to church, if the word of God's not in your life, if you don't really pray, you're not going to grow. If you go to those things regularly and you forget about the promise of God, yeah, and they grow maybe a little. But if you and I go to the duty and find the spirit of God and the grace of God, that's when it really takes off. And I praise God for how I see that in our community. But let's pray God will do more of it. Father, we pray you would help us to grow by the way that you've intended us to grow. In Christ's name, amen.